Welcome to this episode of Catching Knowledge, where we want more than just fishing knowledge, we want catching knowledge. Today we have a half interview, since the whole interview is literally more than an hour. John Renderer is the fishing coach at McKendry University in Illinois, and McKendry is one of the top teams in the nation. That is where J.T. Russell, who I interviewed very recently, fished in college. JT says his coach, John Rinder, is a wealth of knowledge, and I'm very excited to learn from him. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Mr. John Rinder to this episode of Catching Knowledge. John is the coach of a fishing team at McKendry University, and it's a wealth of knowledge. He used to be JT Russell's fishing coach, who I interviewed recently. Also, McKendry is one of the top teams in the nation when it comes to fishing. I can't wait to learn from him. Welcome, John. Hey, it's good to be with you this evening. You too. All right, let's get started. All righty. How and where did you start fishing? So when I was about 10 years old, roughly fourth grade, uh, my brother actually took me to a private farm pond, and we dabbled around a little bit and went to the store. And if I remember right, I, I purchased a DeLong purple worm and a Rapala silver minnow, floating minnow bait. And I actually caught a four pound bass in that pond that day. And from then on, it's been history. I've, I've loved to bass fish ever since that first catch in fourth grade. I love it and I can't get enough of it. Your first bass was four pounds? The first day that I went, I caught a four pound bass. I think the actual first bass was probably about 10 or 12 inches long. Yeah. But before I left, I think I caught five. The biggest one did it. The other ones were fun, but there's just nothing like a four-pound bass on a little topwater minnow twitching it. I was hooked. I mean, I had to go. We started hitting farm ponds and more farm ponds. Eventually, I got a little tiny boat, and it's just it grew from there into tournament fishing and coaching, and it's just been a huge part of my life, a great part of my life. What do you mainly fish for? So I've fished for bass my whole life. In high school, I fished for catfish a little bit with some buddies, and the last few years, I've actually grown to love to crappie fish also, and I've trout fished a little bit with fly rods in my time, but my passion is definitely it's bass fishing all the way. I dabble with a little trout. I dabble with a little crappie, but give me a bait cast reel and a lake full of bass, and I'm really, really happy. That's, that's my main goal. I like to do bluegills on a fly rod with a little popper. Oh, bluegill are fun, and they pull so hard for yeah. the sock. They're great sport fish. You're a fishing coach at McKendry University. How did you get your job? So I taught school for about 35 years. And in those 35 years of teaching, I was asked to coach our local high school fishing team. I still coach it, actually. But for about 11 years, I had coached the team. And we had done really, really well at the state level. So McKendry called me up and asked me to come over and interview with them about how should they start a bass fishing program at the college level. We talked for a day or two about it, what I would do if I wanted to start a college level program. And then that was the year I was gonna retire from teaching and they found out and they asked me to come over and be the coach of the team that I told them how to start. So my wife and I decided we'd make that a goal and we'd start that program. And that's what we've done for the past nine years is coach the McKendry bass fishing team and travel all around the country with college guys and cook them meals and fix their boats and help them get their tackle ready at night. And it's a lot of fun. Do you cook for food? 
<laughs> some of the time I do actually. On the grill, I'll do some stuff outside. My wife cooks most of it, but I grill some of it. And usually while she's cooking, I'm fixing boats because every day something goes wrong with a bass boat and it needs fixed. So the guys and I will get to work and fix it while she makes supper. And then after, you know, we eat the meal, they do homework every night. Homework has to be turned in by midnight. And then they're up at four o'clock the next day and back on the water. So college bass fishing is really a lot of work, a lot of long hours. Does your wife fish too? She does. And she's very good at it. And I don't know if you know what a shaky head is, but if you put a shaky head Uh in her hand, you better be ready to get beat because she can really catch fish that way. We've had a couple of days on a local lake where she's caught over 125 fish a day. So she can definitely catch them. Wow. Yep. What's her trick? The shaky head? The shaky head. Yeah. You know, any type of finesse fishing, when you have fish schooled up out deep, is a great way to catch those fish. And if you match the hatch, you match the bait size, you match the rod and the line, the tackle, you can catch a lot of fish when they're schooled up out deep. So you fish high school and college fishing teams? I do. I I coach both high school and I coach college. And I know that you mentioned earlier, at one point, do I drive the boat? Well, at the high school level, the coaches drive the boats and the anglers fish. They're allowed to run the trolling motor. The coaches may also run the trolling motor. But at the high school level, the coach drives the boat. And at the college level, the coach isn't allowed on the water at all. The guys go out and they're on their own. They run the boat. If they have a problem, they have to get towed in. The coach can work on it once it's back on land. But coaches are not supposed to be on the water in college. Interesting. McHenry is one of the top teams in the nation and has been for a while. How do you sustain that? There's several ways, actually. One is we work really, really hard. There's no way to stay on top at the fishing level we're at competitively with college without doing hard work. So I recruit anglers that have an incredible passion for this sport. I recruit anglers with great work ethic. And part of the way I determine their work ethic is I take them out on the water and I watch them fish. I also look at their grades because at the college level, in order to maintain the schedule that we do, you have to be a solid student and you have to prove to me through your high school grades that you work hard. If someone comes in and tries to apply at McKendry and their grades aren't up to par, They'll struggle to keep up at this level with all the travel and the homework. And college and high school are different in the fact that in high school, if you have a low grade one week, you're suspended from the game that week. The following week, if you get your grade back up, you're back out on the court. At the college level, if you have bad grades this semester, you're out the entire next semester. So basically, you forfeit a year of fishing due to a poor grade. So. In order to sustain a good team, I have to recruit hardworking, passionate, good students that pay incredible attention to all of the little details that go into a successful day on the water. And there's so many, from your boat tires to your wheel bearings, to the line on your reel, to your battery charger. The list is incredible. And if just one link in that huge list is missing, you can't sustain that level of performance because you'll fail on the water due to something going bad. You know, it's an ongoing battle to stay on top of everything. And on top of all that, figure out where the fish are, what they want to eat, and how you're going to catch them. So, you know, it's just an incredible sport. 
with a lot of little details that go together to make you successful. And that's what we try to do at McKendry. Can you send me that list? I, I can send you a list of all the things I can think of. And it's a huge list. Every presentation that you desire to learn requires possibly different gear ratio, a possibly different line weight, a different line material, a rod length, a rod action. And when you get everything right, it's so much easier to be successful. So I, I can compile a list for you if you like, and I, I'd be glad to. It's a, it'll be a big list. Okay. I'd really like that. All right. Sometimes when I'm doing tests and stuff, I'm like, ah, got to keep my grades up. Got to get a scholarship to fishing college. Ah. And that's very important. And let me tell you this. Colleges offer two kinds of scholarships, an athletic scholarship and an academic scholarship. And usually a bass fishing scholarship is about one-fourth to one-fifth as much money as the academic scholarship. Like at McKendry, for example, really good grades could save you about $80,000 on your college education. That's a huge amount of money just for making good grades. That seems worth it. It's definitely worth it. In high school, it would be hard to work a side job and make $80,000. But if you just work hard on your grades, and then when you go to college and get that academic scholarship, you just saved fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 for working hard and making good grades. It's really, really important to do that. And then you get some fishing scholarship on top of that. So it's, it's well worth it. And we've got a saying with our team, you get what you inspect, not what you expect. If you don't study for a test and you get in there and all of a sudden you realize you're not doing very well on that test, it's because you weren't prepared for the test. And a day on the water is the same way. If you don't inspect everything, you may get something you don't expect when you get out on the water. I hear sometimes it's good to walk around your boat before you go out on the lake and look for anything off. It absolutely is. It's not only is it good, it's very important to do that. And I'll share a little story with you. A couple of weeks ago when the freshmen showed up, I had a freshman meeting and I talked to the whole team about the importance of walking around your boat, checking the bolts on your motor, on your jack plate to make sure that your motor's on tight. And some of them, I think, looked at me like I was kind of overboard and silly. And then we went to a practice tournament the following Saturday, four days later, one of our guys had borrowed a boat from another angler and his engine fell off at the boat ramp because all four bolts were gone. Nobody checked it. Nobody tightened them. Oh, three, gosh. Three of them fell out. And when the last one fell out, the motor actually slid right down the jack plate. And luckily, he was at the ramp or it would be on the bottom of the lake. But when it slid down, it landed on the concrete boat ramp and that stopped it from falling any further. And I got the whole team in the water. It was 600 and some pounds. And the team lifted it up and we moved it and shoved it back into place. We were able to bolt it back on. But had that happened five minutes earlier, that motor would be in 20 feet of water and gone. So it is really important to check your top cap screws, your battery connections, your tires, your bearings. Always every stop, feel your bearing, see if they're heating up. We carry a heat gun and I shoot the tires and see the exact temperature. And that way, if a boat runs 115 degrees all the time and all of a sudden today one of its wheels are 140, you know something's up with that set of bearings. Because there's nothing worse than a, a tire wheel issue 
on the edge of an interstate where there's lots of traffic. So you can't check enough everything, your hooks to make sure they're sharp, your line to make sure it's good, your guides to make sure they're all properly on and round and, and not have a nick in them where they scrape your line. You just have to check everything. What was that thing? Like a Pro XS or what? It, it was a 225 horsepower Yamaha HPDI. Whoa. And had it, had it been just a little bit deeper in the water, it would have slid right down to the bottom. And once it goes underwater, you're looking at a ruined motor and they're about seventeen dollars to yeah. $20,000. So we're just lucky we saved the motor. Yeah, that would have been really bad. What kind of skills do you have kids practice? So before they ever come to our program, I talk to them about the importance of casting and accuracy of casting, whether it's a roll cast, a pitch, a flip, an overhand cast, the importance of not tying. For some anglers, just the importance of backing a boat trailer. They go through high school and all their high school programs. They go with their dad. Their dad's the boat captain. He backs the boat in every week. So all those little things are important to a college angler because once they get to college, they're on their own. Dad's not there to back the boat. Dad's not there to check all their stuff. So we practice casting a lot. We practice breaking down lakes all fall. We go to a lake every weekend. Some weekends we go to two lakes. If it's a holiday weekend, we might hit three lakes that weekend, and they compete with one another to try to break down that lake and catch the most fish. Lure selection, practicing getting your boat ready and doing things right. For example, a lot of kids will plug in their battery charger, but they won't look to see if it really came on. They just plug in, they assume it came on, and the next morning their batteries are dead. Or they'll plug it in, it will be on, but at 10 o'clock the circuit breaker broke, and they didn't check their boat before they went to bed. And they didn't look at their charger in the morning to see that it said these batteries aren't ready. They just unplugged it. They get out on a lake and their batteries are dead. Like I said earlier, there's so many things you can teach somebody about preparation. And each one of those things is just as important as the other. Every little detail is important. Definitely. How much tag-in do you have can make a huge difference in how many bites you get? It absolutely can. And in how well it comes through grass, picks up stuff in the water, it can make a big difference. And how you tie the knot. You know, when you cinch your knot down, if you don't do it properly, you stress the line, you burn the line a little bit, you weaken the line. If you don't cinch it down all the way, and then you hook set, and that last little bit of cinch is done with speed and power, it creates heat and friction, and it breaks at the knot. And a lot of times, it's not because it was a big fish, it was because you didn't have the knot properly seated and it tried to seat while you were setting the hook and it actually burned itself and popped. So there's a lot of things that go into a tying a knot. Some knots are better with fluorocarbon than they are monofilament and some knots are way better with braided line and, and than they are with fluorocarbon. So it's all really, really important. I'm pretty sure JT said you were associated with Dialla. Can you tell us about that? I can. I actually, years and years ago, was on the Shimano Pro staff for many, many years, and it's a great product. Huh. Yeah. At one point, I switched over with Daiwa and became a product specialist for Ferguson Keller & Associates, which is a, a repping agency for Daiwa. So I'm kind of like out on the water to represent the product, promote the product. I've always loved Daiwa. My very first bait casters were Daiwa SM1As and 2As back in the 1970s. I power fished with them in Rain, snow, sleet. I grew up on a power plant lake, which has water temperatures that are in the 60s 
even when the air temperature is 20 below zero. So I was able to fish all winter long and have open water. My dial was always performed incredibly well in the cold weather. And I've just been fond of that product for many, many years and glad to represent them and promote them. My college kids, I introduced them to Daiwa, but everybody has to be comfortable with the reel that's in their hand and every reel feels a little different. So I don't try to tell anybody what they have to use, but but I've, I've been with Daiwa for probably 30 years and love the product. In a magazine, I read about some power plant lake in Illinois. It was probably Newton. Oh yeah, I think I was it. It's always voted one of the better lakes in the Midwest by Bassmaster. I fish Newton a lot. It's about an hour and a half from my house. And then Coffeen is the other power plant lake that I fish. It's 20 minutes from my house. But the nice thing about those lakes, we've had tournaments out there multiple times when it's 10 below zero, 15 below zero. We had a classic one year when the windshield was 39 below zero. And it was incredibly tough, but we caught fish. You have to really learn to dress when you winter fish like that. I think the temperature was minus three with 40 mile an hour wind. And I don't really know why we were there. I think we were all crazy, but the director had the tournament. We were used to cold weather. So we went and we fished it and we caught good bags of fish. And you know, if you're dressed right, it's still fun. It's just like snowmobiling or any winter sport. You have to prepare for it. And it's a lot of fun. I hear of a newer Tatula is very, really hard to backlash. Well, there's, there's several dial reels that are harder to backlash. There's no reel out there that you can't backlash. The key with every reel is getting the reel set properly. But the key is casting correctly. A lot of people don't get enough backswing and they start too far up with their cast and then they throw it in the dirt right in front of themselves and they create a backlash. Your back, it's like golf or any other sport, your follow through, your backswing. It's all important. It's like shooting free throws. If you get the motion right, everything goes right. And when you get it right, the Daiwas and the Shimanos and the Lus and all the others out there all really cast well today. 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock, right? Yeah, something like that maybe. Yeah, I, I like to see people rotate their wrist and get that rod all the way back when they're starting, all the way back and as far down as they can behind their shoulder, just so they get plenty of swing. Have them throw for the clouds at first and then work their way down toward the ground. And then pitching, it's all in technique, and it's just something you have to have somebody that knows how to do it, show you the correct way in person. It would be hard to do that one over the phone. Yeah, I practiced pitching in my backyard and set up like a cool cool whip bucket or something. That's fantastic. That's what we have the kids do. We have a washer box. I score them on how well they can hit the center of the washer box. After you get a little better at hitting that cup, then make some obstacles, like put it on the other side of the picnic table and throw it under the picnic table into the box. Oh. Maybe, maybe set up a couple posts that are three inches apart, like a boat dock might be, and a little gap, and throw it between those posts and into that box. Challenge yourself. Make it harder and harder and harder. I have a hard time with flipping and I'm a lot better at pitching than I am flipping. Really? Well, work on it. It's a great skill, you know. How old are you right now, Micah? 11. 11. So you've got a lot of time before you're ready to go to college. And by then, if you keep practicing your flipping and your pitching, you'll have it down unbelievably well by then. You'll be incredible at it. Don't forget a roll cast while you're out there. When you're taking a little crankbait going down the bank line or a spinnerbait or a chatterbait, you can't beat a good roll cast for covering water in a hurry. Huh. 
Is that the one where you, as soon as it gets out of the water, you like swing the pole in a circle and like flip it? Kind of, yeah. You have the rod out to your side, about level with the ground, and you just give it a little rotate. You rotate your wrist real quick, and you shoot it real flat and close to the water in towards your target. Yeah. Basically, as soon as it comes out of the water, you just give your wrist a little roll, and you're right back in the water. And that's a cast you want to work on accuracy too, where you can throw it between things and back into things. And it also lends itself to skipping. Once you're a good roll caster, then you can learn to take that same motion and keep that nice flat trajectory with force and hit the water and skip your bait back under boat docks and under bushes and into areas where someone that can't cast won't get their lure without getting hung up. Sounds like I have some practice to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think all really good fishermen practice their casting a lot, either in the yard or just by being on the water many, many hours a week and doing it repeatedly over and over and over to where they master it. Like I said earlier, having the right rod for what you're trying to do is really important. So study actions and lengths and learn about what rod is right for what purpose. It also helps in landing the fish on particular lures. Do you have a cheat sheet for me? (laughs) I don't. I don't have a cheat sheet, but anytime you want to talk about it, I'd be glad to talk with you and explain things to you and help you out. I'd really like that. I like to use the bendier, lighter, medium rods for crankbaits since they help me whip it pretty far out there. Yep, and that's that's usually called a moderate action blank. It bends farther back than a, than a fast action, and it gives it a little more accuracy, a little more length, and it also helps you to land big fish on small hooks because that longer, more forgiving rod will flex and let the fish have some give at the boat where, you know, a stiffer rod, when they get by your boat, even if your drag is right or you use your thumb as your drag, a lot of times they can get a a quick jump on you and you're not quite ready. And if the rod is forgiving, it will absorb that energy from the fish. But if the rod is stiffer, like a medium heavy, there's not much absorption of energy and it's transferred right to the hook and that allows the fish to pull off when he makes a run right next to the boat. Yeah, I hear fiberglass rods can also be good for crankbaits. You know, there's a couple theories on that. I think they're very good for crankbaits. They're better now than they used to be. They used to be heavier, and they were all very tip-heavy, and now there's a lot of really great glass rods out there, or composite rods. They're more dead, so you're less apt to pull the bait away from a fish. They're very forgiving. They're soft. There are also some very good graphite rods that are moderate action and maybe a medium, medium light, seven foot, seven three, seven six, that will do the same thing, but they'll also give you a little bit more feel so you know what you're doing. Feel what's going on underwater better if you have a little sensitivity to the rod. So I like them both. I think they both have a purpose. Definitely, you want that longer, softer blank when you're throwing crankbaits, especially the smaller crankbaits. If you start ripping rattle traps out of the grass, then you need to get into a little more backbone because you'll wear yourself out trying to rip grass off with that seven-foot moderate action rod. Um, you need a little more backbone for that. So, And that all just comes from time on the water and seeing that this isn't working. I need to do something else. Or like... You read a lot. You're Obviously, you're watching a lot of videos. So you can pick up a lot that way. But there is no, there's no alternative for getting out there and with that rod in your hand and actually doing it and feeling it. That's where you really learn. 
One thing I want to try but I've never really done this year is go over a lot of stumps and bang the square bills into them. Mm -hmm. Like I said with everything else, you know, which square bill you use for that technique can make a big difference. Some square bills will come through cover way better than others. Some square bills track better than others. So you just have to get a little variety of crankbaits and go out there and fish wood and, and see what you like and what you don't like. But it's a great way to catch fish. Bang a square bill down a fallen tree, come over each limb. I was catching some fish on a crankbait on wood just yesterday. And they were definitely on the wood and they definitely wanted to crankbait. And they would hit it right before it, as it was crawling up over the limb, they'd hit it. And then you had to get them over the limb and to the boat. And that was the next challenge. I hear they have those lure retriever things. for. Yes, I have, I have a couple. And they're very, very valuable. Now, if you're not in a boat, they're not going to do you much good. But if you're in a boat and, and you have a good lure retriever, when crankbaits cost anywhere from 5 to $25, like a good mega bass jerkbaits, $25, when yeah. they're that expensive, you don't want to lose them. And since they've got treble hooks all over the place, they're very likely to get caught. And a lure retriever works fantastic. You slide it right down the line. It hits the bait. A lot of times it will knock it free. If it doesn't knock it free, you can actually get it tangled in the bait and then use the strength of the line on the lure retriever to pull the bait up, which usually bends the hooks, but then you're going to replace a hook and still have the $25 bait. So I can't even begin to tell you how many lures I've retrieved with the lure retriever. I don't quite have a boat yet. You're still pretty young for a boat, but one of these days I'm sure you'll be out in a boat and You'll have a good lure retriever in that boat, I guarantee you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Catchy Knowledge. If you liked the show, subscribe, leave a rating, or write a review. Thanks to JT for connecting me with John. And also a big thank you to Coach John Render for taking the time to do an interview with me. I learned a lot. We have a second half of this interview with Coach Renderer coming up next episode. Catch you later.